You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The city of Vancouver is considering major changes to another of its bridges and once again bike lanes play a big part. A staff report proposes taking away at least two lanes of the Granville Bridge and putting a cycling and pedestrian pathway right down the middle. Global's Jill Bennett is live at the Granville Bridge for us tonight with the details and the mixed reaction. Jill? Sophie, the city maintains vehicle traffic on the bridge is far under capacity, saying this bridge behind me was built for a highway system decades ago that never happened. So this new proposal takes a look at making it safer and more accessible for non-vehicle trips to and from downtown. Crossing the Granville Street Bridge on foot can be a hair-raising experience. You definitely have to have your head up, like as a... Like, it's no problem for me, but I would certainly not bring my daughters across or anything like that. The city is looking to make it safer and more welcoming for anyone on foot or on wheels. After researching various options to upgrade the eight-lane span that opened back in 1954, this one will be debated. A corridor down the center of the bridge, one that would take over at least two lanes of traffic, possibly four. The reallocation of the center lanes is the easiest one to manage in terms of traffic flow uh, because the predominant movements off of the, the arterials such as Howe and Seymour uh, are, are left unaffected uh, by the changes to the center lanes. So um, it's going to be a big part of the consultation is what's the impact on traffic. $25 million for bridge upgrades has already been allocated in the city's current capital plan. The idea is making the changes while seismic upgrades are already taking place would be the most cost effective. The plan has preliminary approval from the local business association. Well, Granville Bridge is the last remaining bridge of the bridges across Falls Creek to have any improvements for pedestrians and cyclists. I personally have walked that sidewalk and it's, uh, it's, it's scary at times. And uh, our position as an organization is that we need to improve that access. And while pedestrians also seem to be on board... Yeah, that looks awesome. I would definitely feel way safer walking down there. At least one city councillor wants some questions answered before supporting the project. I also have some, some questions for staff about the Granville Entertainment District and if they feel that there might be a spill out uh, onto the greenway there. I already see people walking up and down the bridge uh, on weekend evenings. But I'm wondering if we truly can find a middle-of-the-road approach. Maybe that doesn't necessarily include the Greenway in the middle of the road. Now, another part of the project is some kind of elevator that could link Granville Island below to the bridge deck, making it easier to get from one to the other. At this point, the plan is set to go to City Council on Wednesday. If it's approved, it then goes to the consultation phase. That will take until the summer until a final vote. Chris, Sophie? Jill Bennett reporting at the Granville Bridge. Jill, thank you. A new report is adding insult to injury in White Rock as that city begins the long process of rebuilding one of its biggest tourist attractions. The White Rock Pier, of course, was destroyed back in December when untethered boats bashed it to pieces in a powerful windstorm. The cost of rebuilding now nearly triple the original estimate. As Sarah McDonald reports, the big question now is how will a community with a population of only about 20,000 pay for it? The price tag for the worst weather event in provincial history just got a whole lot higher, ballooning by an additional eight figures in repair costs for the winter windstorm's most high-profile casualty. 
the storm happened and the pier disappeared. Early estimates pegged the cost of restoring White Rock's iconic pier at up to $6 million. That figure now nearly tripled by engineers. We'd love it if it was still five or six million, but that's not the reality of what we will rebuild here. The base cost of reconstruction using steel and concrete is estimated at roughly $11 million. Using timber, more than $9 million. And that's before all the bells and whistles. Add in potentially an extra seven figures due to seismic upgrades, among other things. And that number skyrockets to more than 16 and $14 million, respectively. That's quite a bit, but... Um... I guess they've, uh, it was just a guesstimate before. And there's another significant cost, constantly rising and increasingly impactful. The losses suffered by local businesses along the boardwalk. Nobody comes down because they can't walk on the pier. The loss of the pier for many business owners, the third factor in an economically disastrous trifecta. <laughs> Ongoing construction exacerbating a dire lack of parking and low foot traffic. And that was before this happened. On a typical Friday night, we'd be full. But we have two reservations for tonight. Those impacted now feeling the heat financially. Forced to make do without receiving any assistance in picking up the tab. But the city likely will. Officials in the process of securing funding from the feds and the province. The consequences for the city of White Rock are significant for their economy. The next step, shovels in the ground, or in this case, boats on the water. Because most people that come here, the White Rock, they end up down on the pier. That major mid-span facelift on this century-old staple, expected to begin in a matter of weeks. Sarah McDonald, Global News. A Vancouver police officer faces charges in connection with an on-duty collision involving a pedestrian. The pedestrian was hit by an unmarked police vehicle near Knight Street and 20th Avenue early this month. Oh, pardon me. Last year and rushed to hospital with serious injuries. The independent investigation office was called in and Crown has now charged Constable Andrew Peters with dangerous driving causing bodily harm. And West Shore RCMP on Vancouver Island releasing new surveillance video of a carjacking in Langford, hoping to generate some leads. It happened on December 17th. A 52-year-old man carjacked near the Millstream Village McDonald's. The suspect pulls him out of the driver's seat and throws him to the ground. He nearly gets hit as the suspect drives off. Thankfully, he suffered only minor injuries. Police are looking for a Caucasian man between 30 and 40 years old, about 5'7 and 160 pounds. The mother and uncle of a young B.C. woman who was murdered in India nearly 20 years ago made their first appearance in an Indian court today charged with arranging her murder. Global's Ramina Dea is in our newsroom now with the latest. Ramina, there are some pretty big differences between Canadian and Indian justice. I have never seen anything like it, Chris. It was bizarre yet incredible. It would never happen in Canada. You could only see their eyes, both accused wearing black hoods as they were led into court. Malkit Sadhu and Surjit Padesha, the murder victim's mother and uncle, were extradited from BC to India three days ago. Now, the pair will face a trial on Indian soil on charges of conspiracy to commit murder for allegedly hiring the assassins who killed 25-year-old Jasvinder Sadhu almost two decades ago. Jazzy, the daughter of wealthy Indian immigrants, 
immigrants who settled in Maple Ridge secretly married Sukhvinder Mitu, Sidhu, a poor rickshaw driver, against her family's wishes. Jazzy's throat was slit, her body was dumped in a ditch in the Punjab 19 years ago. Mitu was hacked up with swords, but he survived. Indian police allege Jazzy's mother gave the execution order by phone from Canada, but Jazzy's mother and uncle have always maintained their innocence. Now, the two hired hitmen and police inspector in this case, Chris, are serving life sentences in India, but all of the accused conspirators have had their cases thrown out because of a lack of evidence. Chris. All right. Thank you, Ramina. Charges have been laid in an alleged sexual assault in Vancouver's West End just over two months ago. 35-year-old Tyler Emerson Gagnon is accused of following a woman into her apartment building on Butte Street near Pendrell, attacking her and then fleeing. He's charged with sexual assault with a weapon, robbery, unlawful confinement and uttering threats. First, though, B.C.'s provincial health officer has released her annual report on the health of British Columbians. And overall, it's looking pretty good. But there's also some bad news. And as Nadia Stewart reports, it has to do with what we're eating and drinking. For the most part, British Columbians get high marks for leading healthy, active lives. But that does not mean there isn't room for improvement. Binge drinking has gone up in uh, young women and men of reproductive age, and that is concerning. According to a new report compiled by Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry, we're getting worse when it comes to hazardous drinking and eating our daily dose of fruits and vegetables. Children learning about healthy eating in schools has gone down. Sometimes it's just availability. Certainly in some parts of this province, it's a challenge to get fresh fruit and vegetables in the, in the winter. The report also points to the growing gap in life expectancy. Once again, the urban-rural divide. There's also a call to focus on early childhood development. Adrian Dick says addressing the challenges goes beyond just the Ministry of Health. Part of what our priority is to, is to ensure what are called the social determinants of health, improve housing, improve access to childcare, uh, making uh, prescription drugs more affordable. The kind of things that we've done are really important for the general health of the population. And experts say it's also about shifting from a reactive to a proactive approach to personal health, one requiring planning beyond just a New Year's resolution. We don't have a step-by-step -step guide. We're not good at creating good, realistic goals that are attainable. We're not good at creating habits that allow us to move forward with those goals. One thing the report doesn't capture, the impact of the opioid crisis. Dr. Henry says a separate report will be released with those findings. Nadia Stewart, Global News. On the topic of health, changes are coming to two Metro Vancouver hospitals. The emergency room at Peace Arch Hospital is expanding to double the number of treatment spaces to 50 from 24. Space will also be dedicated to children and families as well as mental health and substance abuse. A new surgical suite is also being built. Construction is expected to be complete in late 2021 at a cost of $83.7 million. And emergency services are also expanding at Langley Memorial. The ER will have 49 treatment places, up from 31. It'll include a separate pediatric waiting area and a separate walk-in patient area. The government contributing more than $29 million, with the Hospital Foundation providing $10 million. The NDP claims previous plans under the Liberals had underestimated the cost of both of those projects.
Well, it took some cajoling and a tasty bribe or two, but Theodore the pig is now checking out his new home on Vancouver Island. The big move from Langley today coming after a campaign to find the three-year-old animal a new forever home. Jordan Armstrong has this Global News follow-up. How do you move an 800-pound pig? It's not easy. You need a truck. You need a plan. But if the pig won't get in the truck... Ready? The plan wallows. Come get the donuts. With patience and uh, and some some love and coaxing with with some yummy Valentine's Day uh, donuts, he finally decided to comply. Comply to come here to Wasson Terminal. This was his trough that we put in here with his breakfast, but he uh, got a little upset with it by the looks of it. Theo on his way to his new home, a pig sanctuary on Vancouver Island. We heard that pigs can't fly and understood that Theo would need ferry transportation to his new forever home. Theo's been staying with Langley Rescue Society since he was found wandering down Fraser Highway last summer. No one claimed him, so the search began for a forever home. And that took a while. Not too many people are looking for that kind of pet. But the folks at Home for Hooves Farm Sanctuary in Duncan were. Yeah, she's a big. Before he arrives, the ferry crowd goes hog wild over the porky passenger and honorary co-captain. He's gorgeous, amazing, and neat that he's going to have a good life. But a tough goodbye for Theo's lady of the last eight months. I am going to be sad to part ways with him. I mean, I am more excited for him and what he has coming. <laughs> Finally, after a long travel day, Theo meets his new companion. Lillian, who's definitely more his type. I think he's super excited to be here now. A lucky hog, or perhaps this was all meant to be. 2019 is, after all, the year of the pig. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. They like each other. I think they'll get along. <laughs> That's it looks so like sweet. It. A drone captures a view of one of several unmanned boats swept down the Hudson River in New York. At least eight different vessels, including a cruise ship, a barge, and several tugboats, broke free of their moorings and floated downriver, some of them crashing into a train bridge. The cruise ship ended up wedged underneath the span. Police say it was caused by rising water and ice jams. A number of bridges were temporarily shut down. Thankfully, no one was hurt. We are learning more tonight about what led to a dramatic raid in Kingston, Ontario, that resulted in two arrests. A minor was taken into custody last night after the raid by Mounties. Another 20-year-old was taken into custody and released without charges. Authorities are calling it an anti-terrorism investigation, which they say was triggered by information from the FBI about a potential attack plan. The youth has been charged with knowingly facilitating a terrorist activity and counseling a person to place an explosive with the intent to cause death or serious bodily injury. Tonight, the U.S. government is working to reopen for business after a partial 35-day shutdown. Today, President Donald Trump succumbed to mounting pressure and announced he's deferring his fight to build a border wall. He has agreed to a deal that would get government employees furloughed for the last five weeks back to work. But as Hallie Jackson reports, the agreement is only temporary. It's a deal and a defeat for President Trump. I am very proud to announce today that we have reached a deal to end the shutdown and reopen the federal government.
But that fix only opens the government for three weeks, and it does not provide any new money for a border wall, as President Trump had demanded. Democrats refused. No one should ever underestimate the speaker, as Donald Trump has learned. I can't assure the public anything that the president will do, uh, but I do have to say I'm optimistic. But Speaker Pelosi remains opposed to a border wall, a reminder there's no guarantee the government will stay open. The president announced today's deal in an impromptu Rose Garden speech where he went off script with exaggerated and unverified claims about human trafficking. Women are tied up. They're bound. Duct tape put around their faces, around their mouths. It's at the worst level, human trafficking, in the history of the world. Pressure from the president's conservative base helped sink a similar deal early on in the shutdown standoff, with tonight some framing this as Trump blinks. Ann Coulter tweeting, good news for George H.W. Bush. As of today, he is no longer the biggest wimp ever to serve as president. So what happens on February 15th if there's no long-term deal? We're going to work with the Democrats, we're going to see. Uh, And if we can't do that, then we'll do, uh, obviously, we're going to do the emergency, because that's what it is. It's a national emergency. That controversial declaration would bypass Congress and let the administration redirect federal money to build that wall. No word yet on the status of the State of the Union speech next week. But the State of Our Union tonight, opening back up for business. Hallie Jackson, NBC News, the White House. Special Prosecutor Robert Mueller's probe into the 2016 U.S. presidential election has netted another big fish. Trump associate Roger Stone. I will plead not guilty to these charges. I will defeat them in court. I believe this is a politically motivated investigation. The political consultant and longtime Donald Trump confidant was picked up by FBI agents early this morning at his Fort Lauderdale home. He's facing seven charges, including obstruction of justice and witness tampering. The indictment alleges he worked with senior Trump campaign officials and WikiLeaks to obtain hacked Hillary Clinton emails. Utter relief for the family of a North Carolina boy who has been missing for two days. We just want to tell everybody that we're very thankful that you took the time out to come search for Casey and prayed for him. Three-year-old Casey Hathaway had been playing outside his grandmother's home in Craven County, Carolina, on Tuesday afternoon with two other children. But when he didn't return to the house with them, panic set in. Nearly 600 volunteers searched for the boy in rugged terrain. Then last night, searchers responding to a tip heard Casey calling for his mother. He was found about 45 meters into the woods, entangled in briars. It's still not known where Casey was during those two days and how he stayed safe. His mother says he's doing well and is already asking to watch Netflix. Police body cam shows the tense scene after three Ohio officers fell into freezing cold waters. The trio were responding to the call of a teenager who had fallen into a frozen pond in Toledo. The 17-year-old boy was about 40 to 50 feet in the middle of the pond. They walked out onto the ice with a rope, but that's when the first officer fell through the ice. And the second officer tried to pull on the rope, but there was too much slack. Soon after, the two other officers would also end up in the water. Hold on to the rope, Ryan. Give me your hand. Give me your hand. Give me your hand. The teen was later rescued with the help of the fire department. All four were taken to hospital to be checked over. 
for possible hypothermia. Toledo police tweeted the first officer couldn't wait to go in and they had to take action. In Health Matters, doctors at BC Children's Hospital are among the first in Canada to use a new test to identify childhood cancers. Linda Aylesworth has more on how it works and the local foundation that has very personal reasons for funding this study. Hey, I've heard you guys have been up to some great, yeah. great well, breakthroughs. Gloria Cuccioni makes a point of staying on top of the research in this lab at BC Children's Hospital because much of the work is funded by the Michael Cuccioni Foundation, named after her son who died of cancer 18 years ago. When a child relapses, which is, you know, our son Michael went through a relapse and we know exactly what that feels like. It's like, oh my God, like, is this the end? With current therapies, we're curing about 80 to 90% of them, but about 25 of those kids will come back with a relapse cancer. And, and for those kids, current treatments, um, the, the prognosis is poor. Their latest project, to find better ways to treat relapsing childhood cancers by evaluating a new test developed in California. And what this assay allows us to do is to look at, at the specific changes that, that make one child's tumor different than another and identify those changes and hopefully those weaknesses that we can target with with a new therapy. BC Children's Hospital was an ideal place to do the evaluation. No, thank you. Not only because they had the expertise and the funding, but they had so this, this a biobank. So in here we have the biopsies from the children and they're stored in liquid nitrogen. Using these samples helped them determine that the new test was in fact a valuable tool. And found that really focusing on pediatric cancers um, improves our ability to identify treatments. Not only is it accurate and fast, it's inexpensive, which means all pediatric cancer patients could be tested when first diagnosed. And prepare for the possibility that that child will relapse. If the child does, we'll have a lot more data prepared. You guys are amazing. Yeah. What they're doing is they're giving a new beginning and a new hope for these children. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. This heartwarming act of kindness caught on camera in Australia where an oppressive heat wave is making life miserable for man and beast. Tim Wall giving a koala bear a drink from a bottle of water by the side of the road. He'd originally tried to coax the bear into drinking from a bowl, but it would only drink from the bottle. Temperatures in Adelaide hit 50 degrees Celsius yesterday. Poor little guy. Brian Adams tosses a guitar pick to a New Brunswick boy during his concert in Moncton. After the forecast, why the boy and his father believe it was a message from above. Very cool story and a uh, beautiful evening out there. Let's check in with Christy, who is uh, at uh, Canyon Lights. It's still going on, although time's running out, isn't it? That's right. This is the last weekend, and we're at Capilano Suspension Bridge, Canyon Lights in North Vancouver. One of my most favorite uh, attractions to go and see because you get a little exercise, you get a little fresh air, and it is quite spectacular. The last weekend, so it's open till 9 o'clock every night, and it's going to be a perfect weekend to come and check it out. If you haven't been here before, there's a couple different attractions. Not only is this a suspension bridge uh, all lit up, and it is pretty neat going across that, by the way, in the dark, but on the other side of 
the suspension bridge. There's a treetop adventures as well as there's a cliff walk. And we just found out there's a new restaurant, a full sit-down restaurant inside, which is really nice because so far until now, they've only had uh, vendors uh, that you could walk up to and get a hot dog or something like that. So uh, really is full service here. Uh, on Monday, though, they switch gears and change into their spring and summer season, which is always great here as well. But they'll be closing a little bit earlier at night than it'll be closing around five. What else is switching gears into spring and summer season? Mother Nature is. Boy, Yes, reports of a single cherry blossom that is bloomed by the marina along Coal Harbor uh, seawall in Vancouver. And uh, it's been quite fun for residents and tourists walking by to be able to see that. Now, experts say that you need actually at least 10 degrees and many days of warmth for spring uh, for these to bloom. And we've had that. We've had double digit temperatures uh, for many days now. And today wasn't quite that, but it was mild. That's for sure. We were near seasonal across the region. Looking at our uh, picture here, this is from Susie Patrick, who is uh, does our traffic in the morning from the chopper, from the Global One and uh, it was just so spectacular up above that uh, cloud cover. Now, we will see fog again tomorrow morning, but the good news is we're expecting the clouds to clear tomorrow, and we'll be left with sunshine. Princeton saw sunshine today after that massive that dump they saw just two days ago. Oh, just a spectacular scene and through all of the interior regions. We've got a major system, though, that's going to hit the north coast and then slide all the way down the province. What happens there? Well, that means a few flurries for those of you in the interior and much colder temperatures on Sunday. So one last day of mild air across the north and yes that means rainfall for you tomorrow but that will change to snowfall as you head into your Sunday dry across the south thanks to this still the ridge of high pressure but highs of two degrees tomorrow and that will drop to minus one as your high on Sunday. South coast won't see a drastic change in terms of temperature but we will remain dry and we'll be enjoying sunshine by the afternoon on Saturday. Saturday. I'm still expecting sunshine Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Also, the change doesn't come until Wednesday. So still many days to get out here and enjoy you too. All it right, we'll do it. Beautiful out there. Thanks, Christy. Sure is. All right, Brian Adams has touched a lot of fans during his career, but the story of a father and son in New Brunswick might top them all. They say a simple gesture during Adams' concert this week has helped them heal from a family tragedy. Zipped safely inside 11-year-old Dawson Babineau's wallet is a symbol of undying love. Happy birthday to you. For a beloved grandmother and mother lost far too soon. It's definitely her saying goodbye. This week, Josh and his son Dawson had what can only be described as a spiritual moment at the Brian Adams concert in Moncton. The boys went to the concert in honor of Vicki Babineau, a dedicated single mom and grandmother with an infectious laugh who died suddenly almost three years ago. She had a brain aneurysm, internal bleeding inside the head, and uh, it, we didn't get to say goodbye, so it was pretty tough. So what better way they thought to feel closer to her than to take in a concert by her favorite artist. Summer of 69, heaven. You name it, she wanted to sing it, right? Which is why, partway through the concert, Dawson ran down in front of the stage to dance, all the while thinking of his grandma. Uh, it was breathtaking, bone-chilling. Uh, I shed a few tears. 
It was like his mother had tapped Brian Adams on the shoulder from beyond the grave. He reached down and threw Dawson this pick. As soon as I got it, like, my heart stopped. Like, she was definitely here. She was sending us closure. In a tiny little piece of plastic that seemed to come from beyond the grave. Straight from the heart. Shelly Steves, Global News, Moncton. Oh, that's such a nice story. Pretty cool. All right. Sports. If Bruce Allen's watching the show, then he can tell yes. Brian exactly yeah. what happened. We need yeah. to tell Bruce. That's yeah. right. Good point. All right. Bruce wants sports. You want it, you got it. There's a Brian Adams reference for you. That was true. Yeah, the that's... number on the back. Yeah, okay. We just talked about dinner, and I recommended ketchup and Coca-Cola to what? our director. Ketchup, Which... chips, and Coca-Cola. Ketchup, chips, sorry, yes. Which ketchup, looks chips. best at a? A bowling alley. Bowling alley. Yeah. Bowling With the shoes. With... Tastes better if you're in the shoes at a bowling alley. That's yeah. true. There's certain things that you have to eat when you <laughs> wear those shoes. Um, and I, I've always felt bad for the guy who had to spray them every night. Ew. Uh, I know. Ooh, exactly. <laughs> uh, Elias Patterson will be in two skills events tonight at the uh, All-Star Skills Competition down in San Jose. He'll be in the fastest skater competition. The man to beat there is Connor McDavid. And Patterson is also in the puck control event where you have to stick handle through obstacles. He's not in the passing event, shooting accuracy, or the hardest shot. The uh, uniform the Whitecaps wore last year is so 2018. This year, they're going back to 1979 for their look when they won the Soccer Bowl. If the uh, Canucks went back to 79, they'd be wearing the flying Vs. The Whitecaps 79 uniform actually looks pretty good. I like that the only difference is back in 79 it said Whitecaps and not Bell. That's pretty much the only difference. So that's what they'll be wearing this year. And I think it's a league rule that the Whitecaps have to have a player no taller than 5'5". They don't have Kristen Teixeira anymore, but they did sign Brazilian winger Lucas Venuto today. He's 5'5". He uh, played in Austria. For a while, he played on the same team as Jordi Reyna, I believe. He's got good speed, but I don't think he'll be a big-time scorer. The uh, Whitecaps are also close to signing striker Kolbien Sigporsen of Iceland, who uh, played with their national team. I bet you... He'd be very good at leading the Viking clap at BC Play Stadium, should they actually sign him. Uh, Giants, last night at home, big 3-1 win over the Prince Albert Raiders. How big? Well, it was just the sixth time this year Prince Albert has lost. The Raiders are coached by Mark Habshot. He's coached around BC a number of times, a number of different teams. Won the Memorial Cup with Kelowna in 2004 and knows how to build a winner in the West. Goes back to Sapagal. Sapago, wrist shot through a screen, save, rebound, they score! This season, the PA in Prince Albert stands for pretty amazing. The Raiders are on pace for one of the greatest seasons in Western Hockey League history. Even after Thursday night's loss to the Vancouver Giants, the Raiders have 40 wins through 48 games. Included was a 26-1 start and a 19-game win streak that lasted nearly two months. be honest, is, is the winning getting a little boring? Just, just winning all the time? Never. <laughs> That's the beauty about our team is these guys refuse to lose. Even now, you know, we're in our division, I think we're 20 points ahead, and you know our guys could look ahead and and think past those. But it's an everyday group. It's a humble group, uh, unassuming group. They care about one another, and and they just try to do their best every day.
the Raiders pretty much have the same core as last year, but the self-improvement from within has been staggering. They also have stars like Brett Leeson, who leads the team with 31 goals in 40 games. He also played for Canada at the World Juniors. Goalie Ian Scott also played for Canada as the backup, and he's even scored a goal this year. This has a chance! Ian Scott scores! One thing that we pride ourselves on is we don't have uh, just good players. We have good teammates and good people off the ice, and I think that ties in with, you know, our work ethic off the ice in school and in, uh, in the gym, stuff like that, so I think that helps. One thing the Raiders have noticed is they have a target on their backs. Everyone wants to knock off the number one team in the country. Um, people are uh, wanting to come out and see what we're all about, and the other teams, it turns out to be their biggest game because they all want to knock us off. So we get everyone's best game. Uh, we understand that, and in the end, it'll make us better. These kinds of seasons happen once in a lifetime for most players and coaches. They really are trying to enjoy the moment for themselves and their fans. Nice that uh, you know a small town in Saskatchewan is getting uh, you know quite a bit of attention, and uh, you know our fans are are really coming out and supporting us. It's fragile. You respect it because winning is hard to do, and uh, we understand that. So we don't take it for granted. Uh, we're happy with where we are, but there's no banner in our in our arena quite yet for 40 wins, so we've got a long ways to go yet. Farmers, we are farmers. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. Uh, anyway, Tiger Woods is there. He's won eight times over the years at this golf course. That's a knock-in for a bird, but he's only minus four. The leader is the number one player in the world, Justin Rose. And this approach shot is a good reason why he's leading. He has a three-shot ed edge, make that over Matsuyama. Uh, Adam Svensson tied for 18th at minus seven. Nick Taylor's minus five. Roger Sloan missed the cut. Last night in Aspen, Winter X Games, Comox's Cassie Sharp won gold in the women's superpipe. She came back to win it with a flawless third and final run. Uh, you're seeing bits of that right now. Of course, she's the Olympic champion last year. Uh, started her ski career at the age of 11 on Mount Washington. There you go. Nice amplitude on some of those jumps. All right. That was gnarly, dude. It was gnarly, dude. Yeah. Here's a look at today's snow report. Fairly dry air across most of southern BC at the ski areas the last 24 hours. Good healthy bases, though. Whistler Blackcomb, 254 centimeter base. Grouse, 231. Cypress, 255. 224 Sasquatch. Revelstoke, a little over 200 centimeter base. 195 Fernie. Manning Park, 168. And Whitewater, 209. Big White in the southern interior, 178 centimeter base, 176 Silver Star, and 152 at Sun Peaks. Kicking Horse, a base of about 155, 214 Mount Washington, and 250 centimeters Powder King. Okay, a bit of a throwback uh, satellite debris. It is. In some ways. In some ways, but not the first one. The mm -hmm. first one is, I think, the first ever commercial I've seen for Disneyland Paris. Oh. And it features ducks who have envy of other ducks. Duck envy? Duck envy. Exactly. It's better than a duck is. Sorrow 
Sometimes it's not good to meet your idol, but in this case, it was wow. good to meet your idol. Okay, so uh, Super Bowl coming up uh, this Sunday, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, and that, of course, means commercials, and we'll show you all of those the Monday following the Super Bowl, I do believe. But here's some from last year, and these ones were funny, but a bit strange, I thought, but I'm going to show it to you anyways. Here we go. Tiny Toast is teeny cereal with the big taste of real fruit. Who's a hungry old gal? You are. Yes, you are. Humans can't resist Tiny Toast. Tiny Toast is teeny cereal with the big taste of real fruit. Humans can't resist Tiny Toast. Come on! Well, we did it. We sealed the bad out and kept the good in. We have everything we ever wanted. Um, we have all these avocados from Mexico, but where are the chips? The chips are outside. The chips are outside! Ah! <laughs> wait, wait! Avocados taste great on lots of things! See? Yes. Oh, Wi-Fi's down. Ah! Avocados from Mexico. <laughs> See, that's, that's better. Uh, you like that one or Farmer's Insurance? I can't. I, they're so good. There will be an avocados from Mexico commercial in the Super Bowl. Um, anyway, yeah. Here's some really old Super Bowl commercials that I love from Bud Light. Here we go. And now the toughest leg of the strongman competition, Norm: the Bud Light Industrial Fridge Pull. Jim, that's 1,000 pounds of pure hernia that they'll try to drag across. I'm sorry to interrupt, Norm, but it looks like a fan from the stands has stolen the Bud Light. Oh, a huge hit from out of nowhere. And this speed to take this thing all the way. Oh, man! Coming! Oh. With a great taste, it won't fill you up and never let you down. Okay, who's the hero? Make it a Bud Light. Give me a Bud Light. Must be hot in that suit. You're telling me. With a great taste that won't fill you up and never let you down. Hey, can I get one of those hot dogs? I don't think so. Make it a Bud Light. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> that guy looks familiar, the guy playing the bartender. Yeah, I don't, I I don't know. know. Anyway, that was good. There you okay. go. All right, let's head back to uh, Capilano Suspension Bridge, where the lights are still on. Christy? That's right. For one more weekend, and then they switch over to spring and summer season, which is also fabulous down here. This weekend is going to be great for everyone, though. We'll still see a fair amount of fog and cloud tomorrow morning, but sunshine by the afternoon. 
All right. Thanks very much, Christy. We'll get out and enjoy it. Hope you do, too. Thanks very much for spending the week with us. Have a great weekend. Avocados from Mexico.